On July 24, 1915, the bustling city of Chicago was struck by a devastating disaster, forever etching its name in the chronicles of American history. The Eastland disaster remains one of the deadliest maritime accidents in the nation, claiming the lives of over 800 people. Today we'll delve into the events that led to the Eastland disaster, discussing its causes, consequences, and the valuable lessons that we learned from one of America's most hush-hush disasters. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. So the SS Eastland was known as the Speed Queen of the Great Lakes and was part of a fleet of five excursion boats assigned to take Western Electric employees, families, and friends across Lake Michigan to Michigan City, Indiana for a day of fun and fellowship. But unfortunately, the festivities were short-lived and the day quickly turned dismal. Tragedy struck as the ship rolled over into the river at the wharf's edge. More than 2,500 passengers and crew members were on board that day, and 844 lives were lost, including 22 entire families. So here's how it went down. The Eastland was a colossal vessel stationed at the Clark Street Bridge, but sadly, it would never leave the Chicago River. As the sun began to rise around 6.30 a.m., a whopping 5,000 eager souls flocked to the wharf, ready for a thrilling excursion set for a 7.30 a.m. departure. But here's where things get a little wobbly. Between 6.41 and 6.53 a.m., the Eastland decided to test the laws of gravity as it started leaning towards the dock, thanks to the weight of all the passengers congregating on the wharf side of the ship. It straightens momentarily. It then begins to lean in the other direction, Orders were hastily given to stabilize the ship, and the Eastland righted itself once again. Now you'd think that would be the end of the commotion, right? Oh no, we're just getting started. From 7 to 7.05 a.m., passengers continued to board the vessel at a staggering rate of about 50 people per minute. Capacity quickly reaches over 1,000, despite yet another ominous lean towards the water. Undeterred still by this curious behavior, the engines are fired up anyway. And by 7.10 a.m., the Eastland had reached its maximum capacity of 2,500 passengers, and boarding came to an abrupt halt. Now here's where our protagonist, the ship's captain, truly shows his audacity. Ignoring the warnings from the dock workers suggesting he wait until the ship found its balance, he carried on with preparations as if nothing could deter him. You see, he was quite accustomed to the Eastland's unruly nature. This vessel had quite the reputation for being cranky on the water and refusing to be tamed. Between 7.16 and 7.20 a.m., that persistent lean continued its relentless assault on the Eastland, growing worse by the minute. Just when you think it's going straight, it tilts again. Water starts pouring onto the main deck. The captain calls for standby in the engine room. Departure is imminent. From 7.23 to 7.25 a.m., all those on the main deck are told to shift to the starboard side. The back of the ship swings away from the wharf into the river, while the front leans towards the wharf. The ship decides to give one last twist towards the port at 7.27 a.m. This time, it leans at a whopping 45 degrees. The workers and crew in the boiler room sense the impeding disaster and rush to the main deck. 
not just because of the list or the lean of the boat, mind you, but also because water is now pouring into the ship from literally everywhere. Naturally, chaos ensues. The rush of people from all the lower levels caused a major bottleneck in the stairway, and most of the day's victims would end up dying there, just feet away from the top of the surface. Dishes fly off shelves and racks in the pantry, the piano on the promenade deck slides and almost crushing two women. The refrigerator behind the bar crashes over. Two women are pinned beneath it and are ultimately killed. Passengers and crew members begin to jump off the ship on the wharf side, some landing on the wharf, some landing in the river. Reports say that the captain of the ship merely stepped over a side railing and walked onto the hull as the ship began to flip. With one newspaper headline reporting, he didn't even get his shoes wet. 7.28 to 7.30 a.m., the Eastland rolls quietly into the Chicago River and comes to a rest on the polluted and disgusting riverbed. The ship was only about 19 feet from the wharf and the water was only about 20 feet deep. Within a matter of minutes, the Eastland had capsized completely. 844 men, women, and children tragically perish. So how could we let this happen? What led to the Eastland disaster? Well, let's unravel this floating fiasco. The Eastland was a steamship designed for ferrying passengers across Lake Michigan back in 1903. It was built by a company that usually churned out cargo ships, see? And due to some design flaws, she had a bit of stability issues and a very top-heavy design. Now, to add to the fact, they at one point thought it would be a good idea to replace the ship's deck with concrete. These modifications were made to supposedly stabilize the vessel, but I think it's safe to say those modifications missed the mark. Then there was the issue with overcrowding, of course. Who needs personal space when you're sailing the high seas, right? And let's not overlook the inadequate shifts in weight, because stability is clearly overrated. But the blame game didn't end there, my friends. In the following years, civil and criminal suits would be filed. The court would lay the blame on the government agencies that should have put a stop to this floating death trap. Now these agencies, time and time again, claimed that the Eastland was fit for operation. The ship's owner even had the audacity to boast about the ship's large capacity in a local advert. When in reality, the ship shouldn't have been allowed more than 1,200 passengers. As news of the Eastlands capsize spread like wildfire, the shock and magnitude of the disaster struck the city like a ton of bricks, leaving everyone stunned and utterly devastated. Its impact was swift and ruthless, casting a dark cloud of disbelief and devastation over the collective consciousness of Chicagoans. Yet beyond the emotional toll exacted by the disaster, its grim consequences unveiled deep-rooted flaws within Chicago's emergency response system. Let's just say the local authorities didn't exactly shine in their handling of the crisis. The profound sense of disbelief eventually gave way to an overwhelming sense of grief that permeated the city streets, homes, and public spaces for years to come. The communities affected by the tragedy stood united in their grief, grappling with the monumental task of healing and piecing together shattered lives. But the scars left by the Eastland disaster would forever be etched in Chicago's history. In the grand scheme of maritime history, the Eastland disaster was a game changer. It shook things up and sparked all sorts of new safety regulations and awareness campaigns. Suddenly, people were laser focused on weight distribution and stability when it came to ships. 
And you better believe they were serious about life jackets and evacuation plans after this disaster. It was like a wake-up call for the whole industry. To this day, the Eastland disaster looms large in Chicago's history. The impact it had on the city and its people is undeniable. It's a reminder of the devastating power of tragedy, but also the resilience of a community that bounces back even stronger. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find new episodes of Strange and Unexplained every single Monday on the True Crime Guys YouTube channel or on Strange and Unexplained wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, check out patreon.com slash podcast for more content and more strange and unexplained things. All right, I'm your host, Michael, and I'll see you guys next time with a new Strange and Unexplained case. All right, until then, be strange. Just don't be strangers. See you.